Good morning. I am super excited to be up here today. If you guys don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the uh, current only lay pastor, which basically just means that I have all the same needed qualifications and responsibilities from Scripture as one of your staff pastors, but I don't have time to do them. So... (laughs) I get to, um, you know, one of the main things that I do is I just spend a lot of time in prayer for you guys. And it's such a blessing to be able to pray that Christ would continue to draw you closer to his heart, that he would draw you closer to each other, and that he would continue to build up our church as we practice the one another's that Craig was talking about earlier. Um, Other than that, though, I'm here and available to, you know, pray for you, to counsel you, to disciple you, to, you know, whatever you need, if you need to talk to a pastor. Um, I'm always, well, not always, but I try to make myself available for those things if you need it. Um, And uh, my wife, Julie, and I, we are helping to lead the young adult ministry, which is awesome and has actually been growing a lot over the last year, which is really cool. Um, So anyway, That's who I am. Hopefully, you guys are excited. We're going to be jumping back into Acts today after we finished our Advent season. I was reflecting this morning and yesterday, kind of as we were celebrating Christmas, I was reading the, you know, the story to my kids and uh, just kind of reflecting over this Advent season. And hopefully you guys get a chance to spend a little bit of time reflecting on Advent and just how Christ has worked in your heart over this season. I know for myself, it's really tempting and easy to finish a holiday and move on to the next thing or move on back into a regular routine. But hopefully we we all have a chance to kind of reflect on Advent. Reflect on what Jesus did. I'm really worried I'm going to trip over this cord, but anyways, one of the things that I was reflecting on is just how stressful and difficult this Advent season has been for my family, and also how joyous and amazing it has been. We just had a baby about a month ago, and it's been, it's been stressful. It's been all the normal things of having a baby, but it's also been just an incredible joy, mostly because you guys have loved us so well. It's been really cool to have you guys pouring out just this amazing gift of constant meals and prayer and people reaching out to us and even other gifts that have been just super amazing. So thank you, Um, and it's just been cool to reflect on that. One of the things that I was reflecting on this morning was Jesus. You know, this is the day after we celebrate his birth. And so, you know, having just had a new baby, I was kind of thinking about the day after our baby was born and just reflecting on how helpless this baby is. 
how much this baby completely relies on my wife for everything. Every single need, every single thing that she has and does and is, is just completely reliant on her mother, which is really cool and crazy to think about that Jesus came and became one of these babies. We talk about how completely reliant we are on Jesus, but he came and was 100% reliant on a woman, on Mary, his mother, which is just amazing to think about. And that, so that was the thing that I've been reflecting on this morning. And it's just been really cool for this Advent season to kind of have the, the cool, um, you know, awesome way that Jesus has been pouring into our lives, but also the, the stress and the, the struggle of, you know, having a new baby and all these things. But that's, that's what Advent season has been for us. All right, we are going to be in Acts. I know that uh, for some of you guys who are coming into this new church uh, merger from West County, that Acts has probably been a bit of, it's just been probably a bit chaotic for you because you uh, got a super uh, rushed recap of the first half of Acts and then we were in it for a couple of weeks, and then we jumped into our Advent season. So now we're back in Acts once again. And if you want to turn to Acts chapter 18, that's where we're going to be. I'm going to go through a real quick overview of the first part of the book just to try to get us up to speed. But I know that uh, it's not going to cover everything. So if you haven't already, I would really encourage you guys to spend some time reading chapters 1 through 17 as you're kind of, you know, prepping yourself for this new season, the new year, as we're getting into, you know, back into the book of Acts. Uh, it's just God does some pretty amazing things in building the church in the first 17 chapters. So the book of Acts picks up where the gospel of Luke ends with Jesus ascending up to heaven. He commissions his disciples to wait upon the Holy Spirit, telling them that as soon as the Holy Spirit would come, that he would send them out to be his disciples, to be his missionaries in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the world. So he does so. Jesus goes up to heaven, and then a little while later, the Holy Spirit comes down in fire and through Holy Spirit preaching, revolutionary community, and these miraculous workings of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit is constantly pouring out on his people. We see the church continue to flourish and grow through religious and governmental persecution. We see the church continue to spread out from Jerusalem in exactly the way that Jesus said it would. We see it begin to spread and out into Judea and into the surrounding regions. And then we begin to see it spread out past that into and out of these primarily Jewish communities into other places. We see Jesus show up in front of one of the primary persecutors of the church, this Pharisee named Saul. We see him blind him and set him on this path of salvation and discipleship. And we see the Holy Spirit use Peter to minister to a Gentile. 
which then sparks this uh, discussion in the church about whether Christ has come, whether the gospel has come for just the Jewish believers or for the world, which of course, thankfully for us, they decide that Jesus has come for everyone and the gospel continues to spread. We see Saul, who is now called Paul, begin one of the first missionary journeys. We had already seen some people kind of going out and being on mission, but we see Saul and Barnabas specifically set out to go and bring the gospel to Gentiles. We see them travel through Cyprus and southern Asia Minor uh, before kind of making their way back in a big circle and returning to Antioch, their home church. And this is the first missionary journey. We see that they face persecution, that they face struggle, that they face uh, all of these various things, but the Holy Spirit is faithful and powerful throughout it, and he does amazing things to build and grow the church of God. Then we see that the Spirit calls Paul out again, and he starts on this second missionary journey. He goes back through a few of the places he had been, and then he wants to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit leads him another way and doesn't allow him to do that. And so he goes into Macedonia and Achaia, or what we would call Greece. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Paul is finishing up a stay of about a year and a half in Corinth, which is one of the major cities in Achaia. Now, if you didn't catch the, uh, the first part of chapter 18, Jim's sermon was amazing. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. And he gives a, a great um, just explanation of this city of Corinth, which we're going to get into in a second. But let me go ahead and read this. This is the word of God for us today. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18. It says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centrea he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period he declined but on taking leave of them he said I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of God for us this morning. 
Let me pray for us and then we will jump into it. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have prepared a message for us this morning. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just speak clearly and powerfully to your people, that you would allow me to uh, speak your words, and that we would all be changed by what you have for us this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that you are our shepherd, that you are guiding us and teaching us. Amen. All right. So we have Paul finishing up his time in Corinth. Like I said, he'd been there for about a year and a half. Now, what Jim was telling us about Corinth was that it was a very important city in this region, in Achaia. And basically, Jim referred to it as a city of sin. It was home to a large temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And basically, this city was a place where people would go to worship sex. Paul spent about a year and a half there in uh, what I'm sure was very difficult conditions. But he was helping to encourage and build this Christian church there, despite not only living in this city of sin, but also facing heavy persecution from the Jews in the region who continued to try to have him arrested. Now, despite that persecution, he continued the work of the Holy Spirit there and the church was built. While he was in Corinth, he met and stayed with this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. These were Jewish Christians who had come out of Rome and they were living and working in Corinth. They were tent makers like Paul and so they invited him in to work with them and to live with them. So he stayed with them during his stay in Corinth. Now we see in our text that Paul is finally called out of Corinth. We see that he leaves Corinth and sets sail for Syria. I think we have a map if you want to put that up. So if you can see Corinth there kind of on the left in Achaia, he sails from there and his eventual goal is all the way there on the right in Syria, back home to Antioch, but he makes a stop in Ephesus along the way. We see that when he leaves Corinth, he takes Priscilla and Aquila along with him. The text doesn't really tell us why he takes them with him, but from the latter passages, I think we can pretty accurately infer that he had built up this good friendship and working relationship with them, living with them and working with them for a year and a half, and that the Holy Spirit was also calling them on. We also get to see this little bit about Paul cutting his hair just before leaving. It's kind of an odd detail to throw in, but that's just the kind of odd detail that scholars love to uh, debate about. So I got to read multiple commentaries about hair cutting, which was cool, and I don't think it has anything for us to look at today, so we're just going (laughs) to skip it. In reality, it seems like he probably uh, was taking some sort of a vow, either a Nazarite vow or some sort of a personal religious vow. And it seems likely that as the end goal of this vow, he needed to travel to Jerusalem. So we see Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila decide to stop in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in this region of Asia Minor. It's one of the important cities there. And this is the region that Paul had tried to go to at the beginning of his missionary journey, but the Holy Spirit had denied him. So 
Not really sure why he stops in Ephesus, but probably just because he wants to. And maybe the Holy Spirit is giving him a little preview because that is where he's going to spend the majority of his third missionary journey that we're going to start getting into next week. Either way, he goes to Ephesus. He only stays there a very short time and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there before traveling on. We, go, we see that he goes back to Syria, that he makes a pit stop in Jerusalem, probably to uh, greet the church there, and as it says, to greet the church there, but also probably to finalize his vow, and then he goes home to Antioch. This is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. In the next few sentences in our passage, we see he starts his third missionary journey by traveling back through some of the other churches he's already been to. But we're not going to jump into that because uh, that will start in chapter 19. Instead, I want us to focus our time this morning on the rest of our passage here with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. We see this Jew named Apollos come to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila have stayed. Now the the text tells us that Apollos is a Jew who is very eloquent. He's studied He's from Alexandria, which was the great library city, so we know he's probably spent a lot of time in study. And we see that he shows up in Ephesus, and he starts to make a splash. He begins preaching, and he's beginning to engage with the Jews and with the people there, and we see that Priscilla and Aquila hear him. Now, what we're told about Apollos is that he speaks and teaches accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he knows only the baptism of John. I don't know that anyone really knows what this means about Apollos, but it seems likely that he knew about the Messiah, that he had been taught about Jesus, and he knew specifically about John's baptism, which was a message of repent and believe. So he had a lot of the major highlights, but it says that he was incomplete in his knowledge of the gospel. He didn't know the full story. But what we see is he was missing some things and Priscilla and Aquila decided to fill him in. They pull him aside and they teach him more accurately about Jesus. Now, this exchange between them is what we're going to focus on. And I know many of you have been believers for a long time. So I'm sure you've you know, heard of this exchange before. You've probably heard of Apollos. He's mentioned several times throughout Paul's epistles. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I personally engage with story. I really like the stories in scripture and especially when I was younger and trying to, you know, read scripture and learn it and all these things, I really liked to focus on story and conflict. And Apollos was one of those people that as a teenager, I invented some conflict between him and Paul. In the Corinthian church or in the message to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, we see that their church had become divided, that there was a lot of jealousy and division because some were claiming to follow Paul as their leader, some were claiming to follow Apollos as their leader, and some were claiming to follow Peter. Like I said, as a teenager, it was easy for me to read that 
and see this conflict and jump on the Apostle Paul bandwagon, because of course, how can you not? I mean, who was this guy who thought he could pull away Christians and have them follow him instead of Paul, right? Anyway, it's kind of silly, but I bring that up because I think there's an important point to be made here. It's really easy for us to focus on Paul as the central figure of the book of Acts, but he's really not. He is important and he is the main character for quite a bit of the book, but we can't lose sight of the fact that this book is not about Paul, it's about the Holy Spirit. This story isn't Paul's missionary journeys. This story is about the work that the Holy Spirit is doing to build his church all over the world. And Paul isn't the only one doing the work of the Holy Spirit. In this story, we see Apollos and we see Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Scripture, what it actually teaches us about Apollos is that he was a traveling evangelist kind of in the same style as Paul. It actually seems throughout the various uh, texts that he's mentioned in, mostly from Paul referencing him, that he and Paul were probably friends and kind of contemporaries. We see that uh, the Holy Spirit uses him in a very similar way to Paul and actually uses him to travel at the end of our passage to Achaia to probably Corinth, where he uses him to uh, powerfully refute the Jews that um, had been so harassing Paul. We see that the Holy Spirit uses him in a very powerful way. That's who Apollos is going to be, but in our passage, he's not that yet. In fact, we see that he may be preaching the gospel message, but what he's preaching is not the full gospel message. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a church or in a setting where you heard someone preaching and no matter how charismatic or eloquent they might have been, you could just tell that something was missing. You could just tell that either because of ignorance or bad theology, they just didn't have the full message. They just weren't preaching the full gospel message. This was Apollos. He was eloquent, he was passionate, but he just didn't have enough knowledge. He was immature. He was a young believer. And we see that it bothered Priscilla and Aquila. And so they decided to do something about it. I think it's important for us to take a minute and talk about who Priscilla and Aquila are. These are two people who are mentioned several times throughout the book of Acts and a bunch of times in Paul's epistles because he was very grateful for the work that they were doing. And it's always interesting that Priscilla is always mentioned first. We know from just historical things that if a woman is mentioned first like this, that means that the author, so Luke here, wanted to give her special honor. And we know that uh, Paul also wants to give her special honor, even just by mentioning her in his letters, which is cool. So we see this couple, this married couple, who were uh, Jews from Rome, who had been driven out by persecution, set up in Corinth. And we see that in Corinth, they are doing the work of the gospel. They're opening their home 
They are allowing this traveling missionary to work with them, to live with them. They're using their gifts, this gift of hospitality that seems to be so clearly how God is using them. And we see that uh, they are using their gifts to build up the church. We see that Paul takes them with him because of this friendship they've built up and their working relationship and because the Holy Spirit is calling them on and he leaves them in Ephesus where they stay. They open up their home once again and a church is built in their home. They are obviously doing the work of discipling these young leaders and we see much later in Paul's life in his epistle to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, that he once again says to greet Priscilla and Aquila because uh, they are still having the church in their home. They're still doing the work. They're still building the church. So we see a couple things about Priscilla and Aquila from Scripture. We see that they are faithful, mature followers of Christ. We see that they are willing to be moved where God wants them to go. We see that they are gifted in hospitality and they are using those gifts to build the church of God. We also see that they are willing to take less mature believers under their wing and teach them and make them more mature. I think this is extremely important. I don't want us to miss this. Like I said, it can be easy to focus on someone like Paul, who's this charismatic evangelist who travels around and does incredible things to build the church. But I think it's important to see that God is also using this married couple whose primary gifting is hospitality, and so they're using it. They are opening their home. They are allowing God to use them through whatever they have and churches are built because of their faithfulness. I know I've talked a lot about the importance of hospitality when I've been up here in the book of Acts, but it's because hospitality is shown to be important to this book. It's a mighty and important gift of the Holy Spirit. And here in this chapter, we get to see how cool it is when evangelism and hospitality are combined together and work together. When we see Paul staying with Priscilla and Aquila, we see that he is doing mighty things and they're taking care of him. They're helping him. They allow him to stay in their home. They help him with his job. They help him with his finances. We see that evangelism and hospitality are not opposites, that they work well together to build the kingdom of God, which I think is really cool. And also what I think is really cool about this exchange between Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila is this young, eloquent, fiery evangelist is not discipled by Paul. He's not taken under the wing of the more mature, fiery evangelist. It's this married couple whose primary gifting is hospitality and opening up their home, who sees this young man who needs discipleship, and they invite him in. 
They take him under their wing. There's this mismatch of gifts. They are probably not super eloquent people. They are probably not the evangelist types who are, you know, going and standing up in front of crowds of non-believers and preaching the gospel message. But what they have, they are willing to work with and they open up their lives to him and invite him in and teach him the ways of Jesus. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but God wants to use you in the same way. God has gifted each one of you and he wants to use you to build his church. You may not be the traveling missionary type. You may not be the fiery evangelist. Maybe God has gifted you in hospitality or maybe he's gifted you in discernment or mercy or teaching or prophecy or some other gift, but He wants to use your gift to build his church. Don't ignore your gifting thinking that God only wants to use a certain type of person or a certain type of gift. He doesn't. He wants to use a variety of people to build his church together. Not supposed to get into that yet. Okay, let me... Let me shift back. Okay, so the next thing we need to see in this passage is that God always uses discipleship when he's building his church. How effective do you think Apollos could have been in Corinth if he had not been taught accurately the ways of the gospel? Maybe he would have been a little bit effective. Maybe he could have refuted the Jews somewhat. Maybe he could have preached the, the gospel message that he knew. But he, there is no way he could have been as effective as he was in building and helping the Corinthian church. He needed Priscilla and Aquila to take him aside and disciple him. To take him from a place of immaturity and a lack of knowledge into a place of maturity and a complete knowledge of the gospel. God clearly lays out a pattern of mission in the Great Commission. And it isn't just evangelism. It isn't just telling people that they need to repent and believe. It's also doing the work of teaching them everything Jesus commanded. It's also helping people grow and mature in their faith until they are also making disciples. I think it's easy to get fixated on these big flashy gifts in the church to see a evangelist or to see a pastor or a preacher or somebody and think, oh wow, that person is doing the work of the kingdom and completely ignore that there are so many other people doing the work of the kingdom of God, using their gifts, discipling, bringing people from immaturity to maturity, building the kingdom of God. And we see that in this story. Priscilla and Aquila teach Apollos. It's so simple. There's no fuss, no shame, no doubting their own capabilities. They just simply see a young believer who needs discipleship, so they step in and do it. Church, this is the kingdom of God. There are no ranks, there are no tiers, there are no different types of people. There are just disciples. You could have been humbly serving God for decades with absolutely no fanfare or recognition. 
And anyone that you see who is immature, it could be the most high name, you know, pastor in the country who's writing hundreds of books could come by and they may need your discipleship. There aren't different tiers of believers. There aren't celebrities in the kingdom of God. Believers are supposed to be discipling each other. You are supposed to be discipling someone who is less mature than you. That's it. It's simple. And guess what? You probably need discipleship too. There's probably someone out there who is more mature than you who needs to bring you up as well. But that doesn't disqualify us from discipling other people. All right, so what do we need to do with this passage? I want us to jump into the book of Ephesians. Paul writes a letter to this Ephesian church that we see Priscilla and Aquila building here. And I want us to jump into this in chapter four. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians are just straight gospel fire. We see Paul laying out the gospel clearly and powerfully in the first three chapters. And then we see, starting in in chapter four, that he tells the Ephesian church, all right, now what do you do with the gospel? He lays it out clearly, and then he says, and this is what it should change in your life. And he starts with unity. And it's not just a unity that might be how we think about unity of people getting along. It's a unity that is working together to build each other up and build the church. Let's read this first part of chapter four, uh, verses one through 16. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
We see Paul building on his presentation of the gospel message in the first three chapters. And he begins telling the Ephesian church what the gospel should do, what it should mean to them. The truths of the gospel. We've just talked about this during Advent. The truths of the gospel that Jesus came to bring hope, that he gives faith to those of us, that he gives us eternal joy, and that in his love we find salvation from our sin. These truths are meant to change us, to drive us into action. The full gospel message doesn't allow a person to just sit and do nothing with it. It drives us to action. It drives us to join with Jesus in his mission. Because of our salvation, we see Paul tell the Ephesian church what that action should be. He tells them that these truths of the gospel that have brought them out of death and into life should begin manifesting changes in their lives. They should walk in humility and gentleness with patience and unity and love for one another. He says that not only are we given hope, grace, and faith by God through our salvation, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will build us up in unity into the church. And then we see Paul list off several gifts or roles that are given to the church. He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Like I said earlier, I think it can be really easy to fixate on lists like this and think of it as the people who are doing the work of the church. But that is not what Paul says. He says these gifts and roles were given for a very specific purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Shepherds, pastors are important. These other roles are important, but these roles were given to equip you to do the ministry of the church. Let me say that again. These roles were given to equip you to do the ministry of the church. I love verse 16 in this. Let me read it again. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You, if you are a believer, are called to work together with each other in unity and build each other up in love. You are called to do the work of building the church. That's a mission that is both inward and outward focused. It's a mission that is about building each other up, about discipling each other, about growing each other up into the head of the body, Christ. And it's also an outward focused mission of being the people who are finding the, those who Jesus loves and wants to be a part of his kingdom and giving the gospel message to those who desperately need it. We all know people who desperately need the gospel message. Maybe you're not the fiery evangelist. Maybe you are a person who is gifted in something else. Maybe you are someone who is gifted in hospitality like Priscilla and Aquila, such amazing examples of kingdom workers. Maybe you just need to open your home. Maybe you just need to open your life to those who need discipleship. But this is the mission of the church. This is the work of building the kingdom of God. It isn't rocket science. There isn't some secret formula or knowledge to what Paul says here. 
In fact, the knowledge that you need, he says, is knowledge of the Son of God. You just need to know about Jesus. And then you just need to teach teach him to other people. It's pretty simple. Learn about Jesus and teach others about him. That's about as simple as I can make it. God has called and equipped each one of you with gifts and he wants you to use them. However that looks with your gifting. Maybe you are an Apollos. Maybe you are a Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe you are a Timothy or a Paul or all of these various people that we see. Maybe you are just you and you need to use the giftings that God has given to you. But either way, it will look like discipleship. It will look like finding less mature believers and building them up to be more mature. We see the goal of discipleship in the Great Commission. To make disciples who know what Jesus has commanded them and who are then making other disciples. We talk about that. We say we want to make disciples who make disciples. This is how each one of us became a Christian. This is how each one of us were grown and matured. Someone took us and gave us the gospel message, and then someone else probably took us and taught us more about Jesus. That's how each one of us became a Christian, and it's how all of the future generations will also become Christians. It's how my kids will learn and grow and become Christians. Someone will take them and teach them the gospel message and disciple them. Hopefully it'll be one of you. That's how the Holy Spirit works through believers to build up his church, and it's so simple. You guys can go ahead and come on up, Chris, Andrew. This is how we're going to end today. I want us to end with the Holy Spirit's call to action. We are finishing up 2021 and jumping into a new year. This is the last Sunday. We are jumping into a new year, and I know all of us probably spend some time reflecting on the last year and looking forward to the next year. We make New Year's resolutions. We think about things we want to change in our lives. I want us to spend a couple of minutes this morning just thinking about and asking God how he wants to use us. I can guarantee you, you have a role and a place in the church, and he wants to use your giftings to build his church. If you don't know what that is, just ask. He'll tell you. Maybe you're just figuring out what this gospel thing means. Maybe you are a young Christian and you just need to find somebody who's more mature who can disciple you. That's great. Do that. Maybe you have been a Christian for a while and you're just not sure what you're supposed to be doing. Figure out what your gifting is. Figure out how the Holy Spirit wants to use you and go and operate in that way. If you are struggling to figure out how you're gifted, please come talk to one of us, one of us pastors or leaders. That's literally what scripture says our role is, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So let us do that. Come and talk to one of us. Maybe you are fully operating in your gifts and the Holy Spirit is using you powerfully to build his church. That's amazing. Continue doing that. 
What a blessing to our church and to the kingdom of God. Either way, let's spend a couple of minutes asking God to show us how he wants to use us. And we will continue on in worship after that.